0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: of dopey is brought to you by our friends at aloe recovery located in sunny southern california in malibu and silver lake and somewhere in western los angeles Allo was created by our friend bob Forrest and his friends evan jared and bob to create a facility that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control They have decades and decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which we all know is critical, and they have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, equine therapy, surfing, and much, much more. They care about their clients. I've heard this from clients that went there. If you're fucked... And you're willing to go to treatment, I highly suggest going to aloe. It's alorecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Soberlink. At Soberlink, somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying Sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable, handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, email info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it for that someone who cares. Let Soberlink and Dopey help you to stay off of the sauce. Check it out at soberlink.com slash Dopey. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Clean Cause. Clean Cause is a delicious Yerba Mate beverage that puts purpose behind your daily pick-me-up. They are certified USDA organic and offer low and zero calorie options. Do the most with 160 milligrams of naturally sourced caffeine and know you're doing good with every sip because 50% of their profits support addiction recovery. It is simply better caffeine. Use the code DOPEY for 15% off your next order of Clean Cause from cleancause.com. They have tons of delicious flavors. Support DOPEY, support addicts, and go to cleancause.com with the DOPEY code DOPEY. And lastly, but not leastly, and definitely most importantly, this episode is brought to you by listeners like you through the power and miracle of Dopey Patreon, which is www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you don't know about it, Patreon is this amazing thing where you can kick money into the doposphere and you get more dopey content for your buck. There's videos, there's exclusive interviews, there's music, there's so much stuff. Just go to www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast. Kick down some money. It helps us make the show as good as possible. Thank you for subscribing to Dopey Patreon. Go. You won't believe it. It's so good. There's also amazing gear. New gear. There's the new finally OG red and white Dopey t-shirt available right now. And next week we're launching the new Bertha Dopey T hoodie, tank top. It's fucking. It's a nice-looking article of clothing. I'm very excited for that. Brought to you by SRO Prints in conjunction with Always a Hoot Productions. Also, I've got more hats than you can fucking shake a stick at. We sold out of our our uh, Dopey Nation truckers. We still have Good So Bad truckers, uh, regular Dopey truckers in a million colors, dopey snapbacks Oive snapbacks and stickers if you want any of that stuff just venmo me for hats it's uh 30 bucks with stickers 25 without for stickers just give me whatever money you want and i'll send you the appropriate amount of stickers you just venmo me to dopey podcast and make sure you put your uh address anyway enough with the fucking ads here is the fucking show Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and my name is Dave, and I'm so happy you guys are here for another episode of The Old Dopey Show. And I have been uh, running around like a chicken with my head cut off. This week, my family and I went on vacation to Jellystone Park up in uh, Gardiner, New York. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but uh, we had a good time. I'm a big fan of Yogi Bear. And I'm going to do my Yogi Bear impression. Hey, boo-boo, maybe we can steal one of those picnic baskets. That's yeah, not great. I was watching a little yogi with my kids, and I realized he's just like an idiot from Queens, which I love. Hey, boo-boo, the ranger will not let us out of the- No, nah, I can't do it. My Yogi's My yogi's no good. But before we get to the show, I wanted to ask that you guys subscribe to Dopey in whatever way you can. Follow us on all the social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the fucking iTunes thing. Leave a five-star review. Write something nice. I've been listening to the good old Grateful Dead cast, and they tell their listeners to do that, so it seems like something you guys should do. I really like the good old Grateful Dead cast, but you need to be a real crazy nerd Dead nerd guy to really enjoy it But I recommend it If you're a deadhead nerd guy You will love the good old Grateful Dead cast I want to tell you one quick story About my vacation But first, like There's this noise in the background And it's, ma- and it's so funny Now that I have this fancy equipment I've got these headphones on I hear it I don't know if you guys can hear it It sounds like like traffic or wind or something And in the past, I never would have even noticed it. But now that I'm using this fancy equipment and I've got these beautiful headphones, it's so distracting. And what it is, it's my dad's air conditioner. And I don't know how to shut it off, but I turned it on. The truth is it's like 100 degrees in Manhattan today. And I don't want to shut his air conditioner off because I'm scared I won't be able to turn it on again. So you guys are just going to have to suffer it. Those with misophonia of air conditioners or really good headphones who are concerned that the quality of our gear is not up to the snuff that I've proclaimed it to be. Just know this is a user error. Stand by. Stand by and stand down. Anyway, so I'm at the fucking Jellystone and our house is a disaster and we're supposed to leave the cabin really nice. And there's just like garbage all over the floor and food and shit. We had been there for a few days and we couldn't find a broom. So I go down to the ranger station and I asked for a broom and I asked for some garbage bags from this nice lady, Barbara, who I befriended on the trip. And Barbara said that they would bring it to the cabin. So I was like, great. And the next day I, we wake up and there's a new broom on our porch. And I'm thinking, you know, at home we only have one shitty broom and how I would love to have this broom. And I'm started thinking about stealing the broom. And then when I get into the the cabin again to start cleaning, I notice I found the broom that they left us. So it makes me want to plot stealing this new luxurious broom, which is actually not a luxurious broom at all. It's just a cheap old standard broom and dustpan. But all of a sudden my, my mind is doing gymnastics on how I can steal this thing that obviously wasn't mine. And, like, that's just an indicator that I'm not, like, spiritually fit at the moment that i'm not firing on nines nines and tens spiritually and there's other evidence of this and and some of it is like i'm eating like like ridiculous amounts like we would eat dessert right and i had ice cream in the freezer and after everyone would go to bed i i felt compelled to eat the ice cream and it was a gimme s'mores ben and jerry's which is delicious but I had no business eating it at that point. I also ate all day indiscriminately to make myself feel better in the past few weeks. I found myself agitated by work, family, everything, and this is because my spiritual life my spiritual life has not been tended to in a way that is sufficient so trying to plot the thievery of this broom was evidence of my program being out of whack and it shows me that it's time to get back to the grindstone and the only reason that I want to get back to the grindstone is because when I am not spiritually out of whack I feel better and I like to feel good and that's my dopey that's my dopey lesson for you today don't steal brooms because ultimately you won't feel as good but we have a very exciting show today it is a woman named Tiffany Jenkins she is an author and a social media phenomenon uh, again, her name is Tiffany Jenkins. Hello, and welcome to Dopey the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave. And this is very exciting. We have you're a big time person. You don't. You're very humble. You know. You're a very humble woman. She's an author. She's a huge vlogger, YouTuber, social media phenomenon. I just watched her on the Today Show. I read your book, High Achiever, Aww. cover to cover. I took notes. I have notes on your book. <laughs>
2: So just, you know, the, the,
1: Tiffany Jenkins, this is your life. Yes. you welcome to Dopey.
2: Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. And I, we need to just go ahead and lower the bar right now because you set me up to make me sound amazing. And I'm going to make it weird at some point. So oh,
1: Well, I'm sure I, I, one of us will make it weird and then we'll come back. That's okay. Yes. You know, th- Perfect. That's, that's the point of this thing, right? We fuck it up and then we come back. Yes. And, like, I was I was describing the show to Tiffany before we started, and she was, you know, shocked and, and saddened when I told her about Chris. and And you said, I hate addiction, right? Yeah. But isn't it so strange the way, like, everything that we do is informed by our own struggle, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, you know, we're in control, but addiction takes a perfectly wonderful, completely loved person and turns them into a shell and just takes them away. And it just, it breaks my heart when I hear about really good people who are doing really good things. Um, And then just the next second they're gone, it just, it's devastating.
1: It is. And the most, but the most important thing and the, maybe the craziest thing is that if it's like we could go out and use, right. And if we go out and use, we could just drop dead. And I think, like, that's something that I wasn't really comprehending. I don't even know if I comprehend it now. Like, I don't know that even though it happened to Chris and it happened to another friend and it happens to, you know, millions of people every week, um, it's still hard to comprehend. And uh, I loved your book. I, I really did. And um, I think your story is awesome. I love that. I don't think we've had a woman on the show in a while, so I'm happy. Like, to, we have a lot of women fans, so I'm happy that there's a. An, a and you're a drug Aww. addict and you shot drugs, so I feel good about those things.
2: Yeah, totally did all of those things. I'll fit right in around here. Um, I think it's very cool what you're doing, and I think it's cool that people have a place to go and feel like they're not alone. I think that's wonderful, and I'm super stoked to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, Dopey Nation. You're in. Welcome to the Dopey Nation. Okay, Ooh. so Thanks. welcome. But before we comprehensively welcome Tiffany into the Dopey Nation, I want to remind you guys that the Dopey Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy, and you check out betterhelp.com/slash Dopey Podcast. Life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss. But if your stress is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. That's B E T T E R H E L P dot com slash dopey podcast. Go to the website and get some better help. And now here is Tiffany. And one thing, we have a bunch of things in common, obviously, but one thing was that we're both late bloomers. Like I didn't have, I think I had my first drink at like 16, right? Mm. And I drank to blackout, but I got so sick
2: that I didn't drink again. Your story is like the classic alcoholic story, right? Yeah. Well, it, it was like the moment that I took a sip of alcohol, it woke something up in me that I never knew existed prior to that. Like I was a really good kid. I was a cheerleader. My stepdad was a cop. I knew right from wrong. But the minute that I introduced that substance into my blood system, It was over It for the first time in my life. I didn't feel awkward or weird or out of place. I just felt nothing. And I was 18 years old. I was this close to finishing high school. Um, I was a senior and I dropped out of school three months after that first sip. It just, it happened so quick.
1: How does that happen though? So you have a sip. I mean, like that's something I read about it. I've heard you talk about it. You have a Mm -hmm. sip and you drop out. Like,
2: how does that, like, what was your, the last three months of high school like? Well, what happened was things that used to interest me no longer interested me. And once I found that I could navigate the world and not feel like shit about who I was as a person, it was the most freeing thing. And so I started skipping school to go hang out with these people who were drinking and smoking weed because that's where I felt most okay. And I would go and I would try to sit in class, but all I could think about was drinking or numbing myself. And so the more I skipped uh, I was kicked off the cheerleading squad for my grades dropping. And then eventually I missed so many days that it felt pointless to keep going back. So then I just stopped. And of course, between the time I took that drink and was so desperate to hang out with these people, I had messed it up at my house. I had lied to my mom and snuck around and taken some of her money. And so sh- she, by the time I dropped out of school, had already like washed her hands clean and was like, do you then, if that's what you want. So I went to live Uh, With my dad, who was an alcoholic, so it was perfect.
1: (laughs) When you went and you lived with your dad and he was an alcoholic, did you drink with him? Did you get high with
2: him? Was that a thing? I didn't. It was weird. I knew what he was doing and I think he knew what I was doing, but we never did it together. I think he was just so happy to be able to contribute to my life somehow um, because he had been in and out of it. And so he's like, okay, now's my chance maybe to be a dad. He had six kids. And hadn't been in any of our lives consistently up. Wasn't until it that like point.
1: six kids by like five women or something? Like four yes. core. Right.
2: Yeah. I think it was four women. The um, the
1: funniest thing to me, four women, excuse me. But when I read a right. book and your dad comes and visits you, I have this picture in my head of what your dad is like. And I imagine like this preppy guy who's an alcoholic with gray hair and a belly. And I see a picture of him in real life and he's like ripped and like has the mullet and he's like, he's nothing like tattoos. He's like hardcore. Your dad, right?
2: (laughs) I love that. You brought up the mullet. My dad, I can't even describe him. Honestly, he's such a goofball. And him coming to visit me that day in jail is what changed my life because up until that point I felt like I was completely unlovable and he's like dude I'm sober I've been sober for 62 days so you need to get your shit together and get out of here so we can do the recovery thing together I had this As picture
1: of him that was just not so what funny. he looks like I know um and and like when did you when did it become opiate addiction
2: Uh so things progress obviously in addiction it became, I was I want to, it was my early twenties and my friends and I, I had just broken up with this boy and my friends like gave me this crushed up pill. I don't know how into detail we can go. I usually don't go this much into detail. No,
1: super. This is all we live for this stuff.
2: Okay. Um, and I didn't, hold up, hold
1: up, hold up. I heard you on a couple shows and you didn't want to go into detail because you worry about triggering people. Yeah. Big time. I don't think our show isn't like that. We, we show. I don't think so. And if maybe it is, but like, I think it's, it's like we share something that not every, like when you're on the today show, you can't talk about (laughs) crushing up pills and fucking smoking shit and like whatever, but on dopey you can. And it's something that our audience shares with you. So just know, it's like imagine you're in rehab or something.
2: I know. And that's the thing too. I know what my triggers are and my triggers still to this day are like hearing graphic talk about my drug of choice. Because for a second, it's like, oh, I remember. And I never want to be responsible for making anybody feel like that. But if, if, we're, I'll, if you're cool with it, I'll just say um, that I, did, I was snorting it at first. And again, I felt greater than I'd ever felt in my life. And my friend was like, these cost $15 a piece. And I'm like, that's fine. Give me another one. And I started doing it for fun with my friend. And then there was, I was, I had been doing it like every day because again, it made me not worry about the fact that my mom was sick with cancer. It made me not worry about the fact that I was a failure and disappointed everybody who had ever known me for that minute. um, I didn't have to feel. And then one day I was laying in bed and I felt so sick and uh, my friend invited me out. I'm like, I can't go, dude. For some reason, I feel like I'm dying. And she's like, oh, it's probably because you haven't done a pill today. Just do one and you'll be fine. And I went and I got one. and I did one, and I was instantly fine. All of that sickness went away, and that was the day I started using them because I had to in order to not feel like I was dying.
1: The first pill you did was was Oxys or Roxy's? Or... It was uh, Roxy's. I never this did. Is... I never did Oxys or Roxy's. Like what? what did, I, oh, I what, just you did, just went straight to? I just did heroin. Yeah. Okay.
2: Why waste time?
1: Well, I don't think I'm from New York and I don't think there were pills around and there was heroin around, you know, like I never, nobody ever even offered me. I I mean, like I'm 47 years old and I used from when I was 23 until I was 36 or something, 37, I probably used heroin and no one in my whole
2: life ever gave me an Oxycon ever, never once. That's shocking to me. That's so weird. It must be be like a geographical thing because at the time I started using them they were everywhere and the price just kept going up because doctors started cracking down on them but um, if somebody had I believe that at that point in time if somebody had offered me H I don't think I would have done it because it would have felt so extreme to me but for some reason starting with pills which were prescribed to people from doctors made it feel okay but then the Roxy's got harder to find And I was so desperate. And my friend's like, well, I have these Dilaudid. And I was like, great, bring them. And she's like, well, the only thing is you have to inject them. And that was always the thing that I would compare what I was doing to. Like, well, at least I don't shoot up. At least I'm not that bad. But when you're sick, you don't give a shit. And you're like, bring it. Bring everything. I don't care what it is. And it was a completely different uh, feeling and sensation. And I became addicted to the ritual of injecting myself and I was at
1: you're the classic Sackler casualty like you're the classic casualty of big
2: pharma and all that stuff because like right No. yes no No, I had I hadn't been injured there was literally no physical reason for me to use these so desperately it was just because I felt broken inside and I think that back then we didn't talk about depression and anxiety when I was that age and so I never knew what was wrong with me I just felt fucked up in the head and I thought I was crazy. And so when I took this stuff, I didn't feel that way anymore. And See, I so- like
1: it when you talk about depression and anxiety, because like, I never talk about, I, I like anxiety is like, I just feel like that's me being Jewish. Like neuroses <laughs> is anxiety. Like it's just, I'm stuck with it. And depression, I just thought was like thinking, you know what I mean? If you can think like, why wouldn't you be
2: depressed? Oh my gosh, that is a great point. I think about that all the time. I'm like, who isn't? depressed and anxious with the world we live in. I think that there is a difference when, um, like with my anxiety, I, um, I'm i terrified when there's zero threat. There's zero reason. I, I will start a train of thought. Like I'll be looking at my kids and I'll be enjoying their presence and then dark images of them getting badly hurt enter my brain for no reason. And I'm actually like picturing their bodies, you know, and... And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm hyperventilating for no reason. We're safe. We're in my living room. But I think there's a difference between feeling stressed and uh, feeling like you're in a haunted house in the middle of the day on a Wednesday when all you're doing is sitting on your couch. And, the, and it sucks so bad. I still battle with it, but I've learned different coping mechanisms that don't want, you know, end me up in jail.
1: What do you do? What do you, I mean, because I, I have two kids... I have concerns, but I don't think about them in body bags and stuff. Like, I, I right. get worried. My wife gets really worried that, like, we have a three-year-old, and she'll, like, <gasps> we just put her in the bed. You know, we took her out of the crib, and yeah. she has her bed, and she leaves the room at night, right? Yeah. And, and so we have a baby gate on the top of the steps, and I forget to lock the gate, and I go to work one day, and my wife texts me. Uh, I will kill you. No, she wrote... When Susan falls down the steps, her blood is going to be on your hands. Yes,
2: good for your wife. I would say that same stuff because, because it's so true. Like we, oh, I totally get your wife. I feel like we could have a conversation about this. I tell my husband all the time because he's just so nonchalant. He's like, let him play in the road with fireworks. And I'm like, honey, it's not safe. And I, there are in ways I feel like I'm ruining my kids. I'm definitely passing my anxiety on to them. I feel like they have way less fun when I'm around. And so that's something that I have to really work on. But it's something that I am actively working on. But so when I start to feel anxious, like I've learned breathing exercises. I have tactile things that bring me peace in the moment. Do you I, use I, fidget toys? I do. You don't. Uh, I do. Yeah. But, I, but I, not, I don't carry them regularly. But I have fidget jewelry that uh, you spend that helps me like when I'm on stage or when I'm on a show or something, I keep crystals in my pockets, which I'm not trying to say like I'm a witch or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I transfer all my nervous energy into the stone and I'm like telling myself like, you're safe, you're at peace. Take all the nervous energy and put it into your hand. And, and it really helps. I love filling bowls up with Orbeez, which with that, sounds so stupid, what? but I have one. of Orbeez like water beads. I don't know what that is. Yes, you do. You have to know what it is. They're those little balls, and they're clear, and they start off really small, and then you add water to them, and then they get a little bigger. They're used in, okay, well, you're missing out. They're, they're for Orbeez.
1: kids. I'll research it, Orbeez. Yeah.
2: it's. I filled the bathtub with them because I was like, this is going to be so fun for the kids one time, and I put my hand in it. And it felt so satisfying and amazing that I just locked the door and never let the kids play with them. It just became my thing. And everybody makes fun of me, but it really helps me calm down.
1: So you really do this stuff actively to work on your anxiety?
2: I have to. Otherwise, I will just wither away. All my hair will fall out. I will bite my nails to the knuckles. Um, Breathing has been the biggest, easiest thing for me and also communicating with my spouse what I need in those moments of stress because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's like, dude, calm down. You're fine. And so I had to explain to him what it feels like and tell him I'm working on it. I need you to help me while I'm working on it and you can help me by just hugging me and telling me everything's okay. I just want to feel safe in what feels like a super unsafe world. This is why you have 4 million followers
1: because you're like, you know, it's like you're out there and you're like, I can make things well. I understand what's it's like I'm I like this. And do you go do you go to twelve step meetings or
2: no? I do. Um yeah, but I don't really talk about specific programs on my platform because a anonymity, but also because I'm really afraid that um people are gonna connect me with this program and think that um they have to do it or they don't have to do it based on something I say. I just I want people to know that there's different ways to recover and there's no set way and you have to find what works for you and leave the rest of the shit behind. But a 12 step program and a sponsor definitely saved my life along with a higher power. And I couldn't do it without that.
1: Nice. Me too. I, yeah. I have the same thing and we invented, we we took that whole thing and we invented, uh, we, we named it. You want to hear what we called it? I'd love to. We called it the alt recovery movement, which says there are an infinite number of ways into addiction and an infinite number of ways into recovery and just find your path. And, and AA are two of those paths, you know? Yeah. And like my sponsor was always like, don't mention you're in a fellowship because you're going to make the fellowship look bad. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. But like, so like, and, and the listeners, you know, there's listeners on medicated assisted treatment. There's listeners yeah. who do Dharma recovery. There's listeners. What's that Dharma recovery. It's like a, it's like similar to 12-step, but it's all done through Buddhist teachings. Like the eightfold <gasps> path instead of 12 <sighs> steps. I'm ready I'm for it. it. When I get into it, I'm going to get Orbeez and I'm going to get a Dharma yes. recovery book and I'll hook you up, all right?
2: I would love it. It sounds amazing.
1: I think it will be good for your, your platform. I think that'll be something that you'll learn and you can teach the world about Buddha. Well. Did you ever read the book, Sid Arthur? I did not. Dude, that's a fucking good book. Herman Sid? has- Sid Arthur. It's, a, it's the story of the Buddha. It's the most beautiful book ever. You have really? to read it. It's really beautiful.
2: I will. I
1: have to read it again. I haven't read it in a long time.
2: I, I. Anything that makes me feel zen and calm and meditation works wonders for me. I have a zen den in my house. Zen den? Yeah. It's like a closet under the stairs like Harry Potter, but I decorated it with lights and crystals and essential oil diffusers, and it's where I went to decompress, but now my husband's baseball cards are in there. So I can't fit.
1: So it's not Zen enough because it's got, it's got all sorts of non Zen items. When did it become, when did it go from good times to like fucking you? I mean, like you, you described, like, I was going to talk to you about, ask you like, cause I knew when I did heroin, I don't know why I knew that I would get sick. I knew that if I did it every day, I was going to get sick. I just had a belief in my head that I was going to be able to afford it every day. Like I had a good Mm. job at the time and I thought I was going to be able to pull it off because I was stupid. And, uh, you know, I I believed something that wasn't true. I was practicing self deception, but I knew that if I did it every day, I was going to get sick. Uh, so it sounds like when you first got sick, you were like, fuck it. I don't want to feel sick again.
2: Yeah. So I didn't know though. Like I, I'm not joking. I thought, meth and heroin and all of that stuff was the stuff that you didn't do because it turned you into a robber and (laughs) a felon. (laughs) I didn't think that that could happen with pills because it wasn't as prevalent, like as well known as it is now. So when I started, I genuinely had no idea that it would end that way. I'd never had an idea. And even that night when I was sick, I thought, I don't think I even cared. I'm like, this is just my life now, and if I just keep it to one Roxy per day, I'll be fine. I thought, I remember thinking I could manage it, and then my mom got really sick and passed away at 46, and I found out I was getting a trust fund. And I was like, I'm so smart and self-aware that I know I will take this trust fund money and I will use it to die, because I'll buy so many drugs. So I went to the person in charge of the trust fund and asked them to spend that money on a rehab for me. And I went to rehab in 2009 because I thought it's what I was supposed to do. I didn't want to be there, but I thought it was the right thing to do.
1: So you have, you, I... you have the Roxy habit. You get yeah. the trust fund. And when everyone thinks you're going to spend the trust fund on Roxy's, you go to
2: rehab. I didn't even get the trust fund because I knew if I did. And so I thought that would be the perfect time to mention I need help. Um, but I was defiant the whole time in rehab. I'm like, just so you guys know, I'm still going to smoke weed when I get out of here. Weed is not my problem. It's the Roxy's. And they kept telling me that I couldn't. And so I was angry. And I ended up fleeing uh, the day of my graduation and going to buy alcohol to celebrate at graduation.
1: So you leave rehab and you drink the night you get out. Oh, oh. yeah. Because you were like, you you weren't believing the idea that like any mind or mood altering substance you put into your body is going to make you ultimately
2: fucked. Correct. I thought the pills were my problem. And which is exactly why three months later, when I met a police officer at a bar who wanted to date me, I was like, yes, this is great. I remember the stability that my stepdad provided for me growing up. That's exactly what I need to not ever use pills again. And so we started dating.
1: Did you like, was he cool? Yeah, his, his, he's name, his, he's,
2: his name wasn't really Elliot, I assume. No, it wasn't. No, I I changed all names and likenesses, just uh, in case hypothetically, the law ever came for me. Lawyers. Well, that's the right um, thing to
1: do. And he, he was he was a, a cop, and you were living. It was one of my favorite parts of the book was the flashbacks to that time, and you're living with the stoner dude, and you're getting high with the, with the roommate. And, uh, and, and, and he doesn't, the boyfriend, the police officer doesn't know that you're a stoner at all. Or you told him he went to rehab though, right?
2: Yeah. I told him, um, one night I drunkenly confessed to him that I had a problem with pills in the past, but I was better now. And he said, that's the past. I accept you for who you are today. And as you know, you become a really good bullshitter when you're using. And so every single word out of my mouth was a lie. And the, I relapsed on pills while we were together and um, because it turns out addiction doesn't really care who you're dating.
1: Here, I want to read some of your book, like one of my favorite okay, okay. parts of your book. Do you, want, do you want me to read it to you so the Dopey Nation can hear what a brilliant writer you are?
2: Uh, that's very kind. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> you're right. I didn't graduate high school, by the way, so I'm not that brilliant. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. All right. All right. All right. Hold on.
1: No spoilers, though. Uh, this is a big, it's a big one. No, there's no, you just told the story. I'm just going to read what you wrote. Okay. Okay. It. Okay. What okay. spoiler, what spoiler could we, well, I don't know. Spo- I, there's I no guess- spoilers in that. Okay. Book. You're going to, you're going to say it all on the show anyway.
2: Is there a spoiler? What can't you say on the show? Maybe you're just going to have to get the book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm an open book. And so I've told my story a million times. So there's no point in buying the book. I'll just tell you.
1: Yeah. Are you kidding? But they should buy the book anyway. Cause the book, I'm going to say this. You have a dazzling voice, an engaging voice. You open that book and you – I read it in like a day. I read it on my commute. I read it on I, – I ride the Long Island Railroad every day, and I was like, let's see what this book is like. And I was like halfway done on my way in, and I think I finished it the next day. That's,
2: That's awesome. But then and I was it, really pissed quickly. at you
1: because we were scheduled an interview, and then the interview was like seven weeks later, and my brain is like Swiss cheese.
2: Yeah, I get it. And then I lost the book. I couldn't find the book. <laughs> you burned it when you were mad at me. No, I put You're it like on
1: the sh- I put it on the shelf and it disappeared and I was like, "Fuck." And I but I, you know, you can get the book on the computer on PDF. So I,
2: I re-got it on the PDF. I got okay. it booked twice. What do you mean you can get it on the PDF? Like a bootleg version? Yes. I shouldn't okay, have Okay, that. don't oh, admit that. What is wrong, wrong with, with you? you? Spoiler
1: spoiler alert. <laughs> Damn it. All right, here we go. Here we go. Uh, and this might be too long of a section, so let's just bear with me. Here we go. Shut okay. the fuck up, I said, chucking a pillow at him as he left. It bounced off the door as... Okay, and this is, just to set the scene, this is Tiffany with her stoner boyfriend in, in the house. He's not my boyfriend. my boyfriend. Oh, right. My bad. With her stoner roommate, which is always bad to be a drug addict with the stoner roommate. And he seems Agreed. like he was probably a drug addict too, though, right?
2: Uh, it was never... I don't think, so. I don't know. There's no telling. I think he could control it. He was just high all the time. I don't even know who he really was as a person.
1: In my mind, I picture like a James Franco type.
2: No, blonde hair, weaselly face.
1: Weaselly face. Not, a, not <laughs> yeah. the handsome James Franco, Brad Pitt style that I imagined him. No by. way. In the movie though, I think a young Brad Pitt as the stoner. I would like okay. that. As I
2: long as that. I can play <laughs> his
1: lover. His lover. Okay, here we go. Brad we go. No, yeah, I'm I, I okay. to play you. Anyway, here we go.
2: <laughs> shut the fuck
1: up, I said, chucking a pillow at him as he left. It bounced off the door as he shut it behind him. I decided to call my boyfriend before I melted into the couch in a hazy fog. I took a deep breath and dialed his number. It rang and rang and rang. I was relieved when the voicemail picked up, and I quickly hung up, not wanting to leave the evidence of my current state on a recording. All righty, then. I tried... I thought as I stood up from the couch. Already then, I tried. I thought as I stood up from the couch. I shut all the lights off, locked the front door, and headed to grab some buds out of Brandon's secret stash. I flipped his bedroom lights on and glanced around at his pigsty of a room. Cigarette ashes and empty fast food wrappers littered the floor. I stepped over a pair of dirty boxers and pulled the top drawer of his oak dresser open. Knives and random objects began thumping around in the drawer as I rifled through to locate the bag. Where the fuck was this thing? Suddenly, my fingers hit something hard and plastic. It definitely wasn't a bag. I began to sweat as my knuckles turned white from grasping the tube so hard. I gave it a shake, and my suspicions were confirmed. Pills rattled inside the bottle as I pulled it out from under the socks to get a better look. I should have let go and run out of the room, but curiosity had gotten the best of me. I looked at the label and didn't recognize the name of the person they were prescribed to, but I recognized the drug immediately. They were oxy dun Mm -hmm. Dun-dun-dun done yeah that's where it gets good uh one of the most powerful pills one could get one pill costs like 40 bucks what the fuck was he doing with these my palms were clammy around the bottle but i couldn't let go my heart was wrapping the inside of my rib cage and i began salivating it felt like i was possessed this is a good rehab relapse uh passage just so you know Are you feeling it? Are you on the edge of your seat? I am
2: feeling it. It's so weird to hear it because I remember the moment.
1: Put them back, you fucking idiot. You are clean. You got clean for your mother. She is watching you right now. Don't do this, I said to myself. There was an inner battle going on in my mind between my addiction and myself. Turmoil and angst swarmed around me inside like bees. Suddenly, and before I had time to think... I threw the bottle into the drawer and left the room. I didn't even bother closing the drawer. I had to get out of there. I wasn't going to let my addiction win this time. I had come so far and was not about to give up now. I made it two steps out of the bedroom when suddenly my mind was hijacked. A dark force took over the helm and I was merely a helpless bystander. I watched from somewhere far away as my body turned around and my legs began moving toward the dresser before my brain could process what was happening. Stop, I yelled out loud to myself. No, the tears began streaming down my face. I couldn't stop what was happening. I was powerless. The familiar pop of the lid being opened was the most rewarding and heartbreaking sound I'd ever heard. I knew what came next. I shook a pill into the palm of my hand and returned the bottle to its resting place. A few moments later, I was staring down at the white line in front of me. It looked like powdered snow. I had licked the coating off the oxy and smashed it to smithereens without a single thought. It was mechanical. I'd done it so many times that it was programmed into my mind. I could keep reading, but I have to. I have to. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Without hesitation, I placed the rolled-up dollar bill in my nose, leaned down, and snorted deeply. The powder coated the back of my throat as the familiar burn in my nose greeted me like an old friend. I shoved the rolled-up bill into my bra just as my brain turned to jello. And the warm sensation of liquid relaxation began flowing through my veins. Holy shit, I miss this feeling. Fuck. Why would anyone voluntarily stop taking these things? It was as though I were being wrapped in a warm hug, a hug I couldn't receive from anyone else. A hug I couldn't receive from anyone else. That is, that's relapse. That is, hold on here. (laughs) That's great.
2: I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> it was the shittiest moment of my life. Where <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I, my palms are sweating right now for some reason. And I, I don't see, is my face red? I don't see how that could not be triggering for someone listening.
1: Well, listen, this is the thing. I think the bottom line is this. If drugs could work, if you could take drugs and be happy and have a good life, you'd still be doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? It doesn't work like that. Right. You stop because it's misery. And anybody uh-huh. who's listening, listen, anybody who's having a moment, it's not going to work out. She fucking went to jail. It went yeah. to terrible <laughs> for her. She tried to kill herself.
2: Yes. Let's play the tape all the way through. Spoiler um, alert. It doesn't work. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, that amazing few seconds of feeling ended up in me. With no clothes on in suicide watch, trying to kill myself
1: I have the quote from there, too, but we'll get to that one. We'll get there. <laughs> That's my other quote I have. Um, wow. The point is, like in those moments, like and it's so funny, like the different because like like you said, when you left treatment, you thought you could drink and you thought you could smoke weed. A long time ago, I was talking with a friend, um actually Chris, who I'd done the show with for mm-hmm. for years about. You know, there's so many different kind of takes of recovery and people who can smoke weed or people who can drink or people who could whatever. You know, there are all these different paths for me. If I drop the force field and let one substance in, I'm fucked. You know, I don't I I don't have the the chance to, like, resist the other ones. So, like, and I also know that in my relapses and I don't think I ever relapsed because I don't think I ever had had sobriety, I think I was just always kind of going from one thing to the next. Right. But in a moment like that, I never would have deprived myself. You know what I mean? I like I would yeah, do exactly yeah. what you
2: did and felt compelled, right? Yeah. Cause I at that time I had no real recovery under my belt. I had no real coping mechanisms to reach for in those moments now if I stumbled upon something like that it would be a completely different story I know exactly what I would do but back then I was I had no weapons I had no force field so to speak and so I really like that you said that if I drop my force field and let one in that I'm screwed I've never heard that before and that's such an amazing way to put it because I'm the same way I can't I can't do anything
1: yeah i don't even I, I eat too much ice cream I eat too okay much yeah cookies. if we're going to talk
2: about addiction, food addiction, and ice cream, I feel those addicty feelings when it comes to ice cream. like if the idea of ice cream pops in my head, I have to friggin have it I don't care if I have to walk to the store barefoot, like I need it, and it's so I, I'm like, oh my God, this is addict behavior but at least it's not crack. So it's fine. Like that's how I justify it. But the, the where
1: I really get addict is where, where I start eating it and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to stop. I'm not stopping yeah. until it's gone. Like that's yeah. where the real addict comes out. Um, but in, 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 I think like the most important thing, and I, I really do appreciate your spirit. Like you're like, Oh, that's going to be triggery. And it is, it is triggery, but it's important that that, exists because people like us, you know, like we get into situations like that and we fall right sometimes. And sometimes we don't. And I think it's important to have both stories out there, you know? Um, now there's a thing in your book that there's only one thing in your book that I really struggle with. Okay. 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 Now, Tiffany, from there, like she went berserk, right? Doing fucking pills. Like you went berserk and you had the boyfriend who is the cop, and she's, a, and I've worked in restaurants my whole life too. Like this whole run, I was a waiter like the whole time. So I could relate to like a lot of, of the story. The one piece that I cannot relate to, and I want you to clarify this for me, because it's also just the juiciest thing to me. Like, I think I know where you're going. She's driving to get some fucking drugs. Right and and the car breaks down and she doesn't mm-hmm. want to call the police officer boyfriend so she calls an ex boyfriend who happens to be a drug dealer and he comes and helps you out and then he gives you a briefcase full of drugs how mm-hmm. could that be a true story
2: I know I so he was and he wasn't my ex boyfriend he was my ex buddy, buddy right with benefits yes um and. I, it's true, and I, when this guy, I don't know, I can't remember if I mentioned it in the book, but this guy, I'm going to try really hard not to say his real name while I'm recounting this. Uh, I think in the
1: book, his name was Josh.
2: Okay. We'll call him Josh then. Um, He is unlike any human being that I've ever met in my life. He was born rich. And so he has his pilot license. He went to law school. He has all these things, and he had cabinets full of drugs. And he had always been trying to encourage me to help him be, be one of his sellers. He had, like, people under him who would go out and sell and report back, but I had never done it because I never thought that I the Juice wasn't worth the squeeze to me. The four extra dollars here and there was never worth it to me. Um, but I was just so desperate at this point that I was down. But I ended up doing all of the supply just like I thought I would. And that's when things got a little crazy.
1: Now, I'm also just uh, when I hear briefcase full of drugs, like, you know, I, it, it, it tickles my my front frontal lobe or my hypothalamus or something in my brain mm-hmm. is
2: what's in there? What what kind of, what drugs? What does he what do he have? Was he uh, there was a-
1: DMT? What has he got No,
2: it, it was is- cocaine and uh-huh. pills and weed. Okay. And I had never even, like I used to do cocaine just for fun, just whatever. But I was sitting in my house by myself and I was bored and I was like, I could just take a little bit. He would never know. And then I just kept doing that. And then with the pills, I would always come up with excuses like, I'm just going to do this pill and then I'll make enough money at work to uh, replace it. But- It never happens. Same with the pawn shops. It just never happens. You always think that there's going to be a way out of this situation, and I think you justify it so hard and convince yourself that anything is possible when you're sick, and that's what I did through that whole thing. Do you think he was evil? I think he is still. I am terrified. Part of me is terrified that he's read this. Or somebody's told him, like, hey, this sounds a lot like you. And I don't think this is in the book. Uh, I actually don't even know if I should mention this. Now that I'm thinking about it, it makes me an accessory a little bit, possibly. But I talk, anyway, I remember one day I was at his house and he came home and he had a bulletproof vest on and a gun and he said, I just shot three people. And is it not, that's, not I can't remember if I put it or not. But um, I remember being like, what the heck are you talking about and i guess there was like a drug deal gone bad and he had shot at the side of the car he didn't know if any of them died i ended up bringing it up to my cop ex-boyfriend and saying hey by the way did anybody are there any, you know any unsolved murders that involve shooting from this month on this year because i think i know who did it like i was ready to admit it all but it was never found and i don't even know if it was true but um he he's unlike anybody i've ever met and he's still up to his old ways because I do occasionally stuck him on Facebook just to see if anything's changed and and nothing. I
1: mean the thing that I don't, the thing that really bothers me about it is just like I've been in situations like where every time a drug dealer has ever fronted me drugs uh, to sell, I've done them every, every time like it's never happened that like I could actually sell drugs I mean, except before I was addicted, like I used to sell acid in college and stuff and weed. Even with weed, it was hard for me to keep up with it because I'd always smoke it and I never really made money.
2: But I'd never done that. So I, I guess I was so desperate that I thought maybe this would be Sure. I mean,
1: him though. I mean, he knew you're a fucking opiate addict. But like he wanted to put you in that situation is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. I thought there was a point when I said he was my best friend and I'll even have Facebook memories come up and, uh, with him in them. And I remember just thinking we were such great friends, but in hindsight, now that I know the definition of a true friend, I, we never were friends. We, we, he used me and I used him.
1: Well, it's funny. I was talking to, uh, I was texting with a listener of the show and he was talking about a relationship he has with an old heroin dealer, and I was thinking about just how you know those relationships are so weird between drug addicts and drug dealers, and sometimes they feel like they're your best friend or yeah. they're your father figure or they're you know what I mean. But yeah, it's very hard to have a friendship when you're high. Like it's very yeah. hard to have a friendship friendship when you're in active addiction.
2: Yeah, even my best friend, uh, who is a female. I would screw her over in a second. If our dealer was like, I have three left, and I knew she wanted to go and get some, I'd be like, I'm on my way, fuck her. And totally. get them for myself. There's no loyalty when you're using.
1: Beca- yeah, because you're a fucking addict. I have this stupid light on,
2: and it's my- I look too bright, right? I don't think you look too bright. You look normal bright to me. One side of your face is brighter, but it... I
1: know. I'm not the pro. You have a nice, even lighting. Nice, Do lit. I? Yeah. Oh, shit.
2: You're evenly I- lit. I didn't brush my hair today. It uh, looks very it brushed. makes you feel any better.
1: Looks very brushed. Um, so my point is, you got put in a bad situation. You know what I mean? And, and like there was no winning in that situation.
2: It's like, and it's- But I had a choice in all of these situations. I, I always had a choice, but at the time, it felt like I didn't have a choice. That desperation, like when your desperation grows so much, your morals drop and you just don't care. And there were so many things during that time that I, I couldn't see the future. The future was dark. I was just living for the moment. And whatever I had to do to get out of whatever situation, I happened to put myself in.
1: And that's when you tried Dilaudid's. That's when you started shooting. That's when it was like, how long were you shooting?
2: I was probably five months, six months before I got arrested. It, it did not take long. Um, it felt like much longer because I was living in the police officer's house and I was hiding my scars and um, I don't know. I thought nobody knew. And of course, once I got clean, all of my friends and family members were like, we knew we just didn't want to say anything because we didn't want to push you away. But and I get that. Know, right. He didn't know. He So here's what happened. My, here's what I think. Because he had found my paraphernalia. And of course, because I was a piece of shit loser, I blamed it on my sick mother. I'm like, oh, that must be left over from when my mom was sick and had to give herself medicine. Like, just pulling this shit out of my ass. Excuse my mouth. I never cuss like this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But I think that when you love somebody so much, you ignore the signs and the red flags because you so desperately don't want it to be true. And I like to think I was also, like, in hindsight, I thought I was such a good liar. And I thought that I, I would start lies on a Wednesday because I knew I would need it on a Saturday. I was lying before the lie became a lie just so I could be like, oh, remember I told you about that thing on Wednesday? It's happening now. And, um, but I think that love had a lot to do with it. He was truly, to this day, probably the greatest person that I've ever met in my life. He was truly kind. The minute his feet hit the ground in the morning, his life goal was to make me happy. And I was such a piece of shit. I took that and I squandered it and I took advantage of it.
1: You were a a using drug addict, you know? Yeah. So like you were a using drug addict and probably, and I'm not, you know, I'm no psychologist or, I, I don't, you know, but probably you couldn't handle the kind of guy that would live to make you happy. Like that yeah. probably is not the kind of thing that
2: like computes. Right. Right. At the time it was, I, I didn't like it. I was like, can you just yell at me? Can you just like, give me something? I remember I didn't like it, but, um, because of the, I just, I feel incapable of accepting that kind of love. Also, I felt guilty receiving that kind of love because I didn't deserve it. Um, in my mind. And so I would push it away. And I stayed with him for so long because I knew that if I told him the truth about like the monster that I actually was at the time, that I would lose everything. I would lose the house we were living in. I would lose him. I would lose respect. Um, I would lose the puppy, which for some reason was such a big deal at the time. Um, I thought that when he found out the truth about my crimes, that he would be like, dang, Tiffany, can't believe you did that. Let's get you to rehab. But I was not expecting his police sergeant to find out before him.
1: No, but you know what it is, I think. I think because he believed the lie, you believed some of the lie. And the second that he finds out, it's true. You know what I mean? Like, you were so good at lying and you were so invested Mm. in the story that as soon as it was out, your fantasy of being like this policeman's girlfriend who's straight and drinks sometimes is over. And the truth comes out. And then like, you know, the craziest thing, obviously, this is the spoiler, but we have to, you know, how can we not talk about it? Because it's like very juicy. I'm always a sucker for briefcases full of drugs. But (laughs) when you owed the dealer so much money, right, that's Mm. that's when the shit went down, right?
2: The desperation. Yeah, that's when it kicked in, because I I was so afraid that he would find out. And I was so afraid that um, all the truth about who I was would come to fruition, and it's looking back on it now I can see that it was the universe's way of being like it's over bitch because I would have kept going on until I died um, but i didn't uh, I didn't expect things to go down the way they did, and to be honest with you, I didn't really care because I was living in the moment, and I was just trying to get myself out of this hole that I had dug. And that's the thing about my story is it, it's so outlandish, but I think that anybody who has done drugs and lived that lifestyle knows that our stories sound fucking outlandish and like something from a movie. And that's because the desperation will make you do shit that no sane, normal thinking person would do
1: we're willing to go to lengths and means to do anything to make sure we can stay high. The only reason it went so bad for you is because your boyfriend was a cop and you stole his guns and badge. That's yeah. why it went so bad. For, it's like we all steal from our families and our girlfriends and our parents and our grandparents. And it's so funny to me also because I just watched you on the Today Show. And it's mm-hmm. like they're sitting there all dressed and they're wearing pants. I mean, I might not be wearing pants, but on the Today Show, they're wearing pants. And it's like you having to reveal the stuff that you did. It's like the, the fucking worst thing that ever could have happened. And it, I mean, like, that's what we do. You know what I mean? It just so happened that he was a cop and it was his gun. And the the crime aspect of putting a a, a law officer's weapon in the hands of a drug dealer, it becomes Mm -hmm. very salacious, right? But in reality, it's like just what you just said. It's just what we do to make sure we can stay well.
2: Yep. And that's what it was, is to stay well. I felt that pain of withdrawal is something that was, it was unfathomable. Anytime I thought about having to endure that, even for five minutes, I would have cut off my arm. I would have stepped on my mother's neck. I would have done anything to not have to feel that. It's so painful. And knowing that there's this magical pill that exists and all you have to do is take it and you're fine. It became the center of my universe.
1: That's the thing. It's like... That's the thing about withdrawal. It's not the sickness. It's that all you need is the drug. Mm-hmm. And like, and that's also one of the greatest, most magical things of being an opiate addict. It's like you're dying. And then all of a sudden you have this thing and you're the, the greatest you've ever been. It's like crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy yeah. thing. I had COVID, right? I had COVID right in the beginning and it felt identical to kicking, It was so much like kicking, except I wasn't thinking like about copping. Like I put a blanket around me. I watched some movies. I cried. I enjoyed it. Like I'm fucked up. Like I (laughs) enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting sick at COVID because I knew I wasn't going to go cop. And like, and I had a chance to not work for a few days. You know what I mean? But, but the misery of withdrawal is that there's a solution.
2: Yes. And when you combine the mental anguish with the physical pain, it felt unbearable to me. Like, I'm sitting on the floor, like, sweating and kicking around, and I'm like, I can't believe I've done this to myself. I've gotten myself here. I can't believe that I have to continue living in this broken body. It is up to me to continue feeding my body what it needs in order to function in this fucked-up world, and I can't do it. And it was so... I, I, I am so grateful that, that I never over. have to feel that again. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And and the thought that I had a lot during my runs was, and my runs was like protracted. It it would, it would just go and go and go and go. And I would go to detox and I would get out of detox and I would go and go and go and go. And the, the thing that would always play out in my head was I can't afford to stay high. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm never going to be able to do this. It's, it's mm-hmm. not possible. You know, yeah. and you got stopped because y- your boyfriend went to his sergeant.
2: His sergeant went to him. Actually, sadly, what was tell? I, us what's the story? Yeah, he. Well, they w- once the burglary, quote unquote, occurred at our home, they had to investigate, and I, I was probably acting suspicious because I was high as a kite when they were interviewing me uh, about the burglary, and so for some reason somebody looked up my name in the pawn searches my town, looked up my name, and of course, it came up with everything that I had pawned. And so they printed it all out, including photos of me standing there, pawning it, and went to him and said, did you know that your girlfriend was doing all this? And he said, no. And they said, we have no choice but to arrest her. And so then they all came to my house and pulled me out of bed and arrested me. Um, if he had, if I had just gone to him and told him I had a problem, I probably never would have gotten arrested. But I just couldn't bring myself to tell him the truth. So he had no choice. I mean, he was crying when he woke me up out of bed. And he just said, the detectives want to talk to you. And I said, I talked to them last night. And he said, you got to go out there. And then the detective came in the bedroom and was like, get out here now. And that was when I knew that it wasn't just to interview me that I was caught.
1: Right. Right. And it's like I hear it's just so funny when we go over the details and we say, well, if this had happened, then this Mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened. And but in your situation and in my situation, if any of those things hadn't happened, you wouldn't have your kids.
2: Oh, yeah, I know. It's
1: like it's like I wouldn't have my kids. It's like it's like and that's deep. You know what I mean? It's like you go over it like, oh, if only I had just copped to my boyfriend. But if you hadn't on the exact path you went wound exactly. up in jail you would not have the life that you have right now and it's pretty pretty incredible um and then you had to go to jail and that's mm. when the shit and then you had to kick in jail
2: Ugh. i can't figure out if that's better or worse to be honest with you because i feel like knowing that i didn't have the option to go get it made it somehow more doable
1: Yeah. Every time I go away, every time I ever went away to kick, it was infinitely easier than any time. I I couldn't kick it. I couldn't do it. Like I, I never had to kick in jail. I would do like a night in jail. I would never did time. You know, I just did a night and then I'd get out and cop or whatever. And that happened twice. So I don't want to brag that I've done it so many times. I went to jail (laughs) twice for two nights. Um, but like, whenever I went to detox, I also got medicated. You didn't get medicated in jail, but I think, being separated from the possibility makes it psychologically different. It does.
2: Yeah. I felt that. And of course there's ways, you know, in the general population when you have people coming in that you could get drugs if you wanted. But by then I had, I had been so long that I never partook in any of that, but yeah, it was the most humiliating uh, experience of my life Though was detoxing and suicide watch because during the detox, it was so painful that I felt like I didn't have a choice. I had to die. I, I wanted to die more than anything. I had to.
1: Can I read and, uh, the death passage from the book?
2: Yeah, if you want. If your listeners are tired of a dumb story. No,
1: like, are you kidding me? <laughs> All right. Uh, I remained, in, and this is Tiffany kicking in jail. In the It's beginning. very
2: graphic. Warning. I don't know if you need it. I'm sorry. Huh? You don't know what? I don't know if they need a warning, but I'm just warning them. That it's Spoiler graphic.
1: alert. It's very graphic. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, I remained in bed for most of the day. My body was in so much pain from with, from, the, from the withdrawal that I was finding it hard to breathe. I watched through the bars of my cell as women were running around laughing and having a good time. How the fuck could they laugh at a time like this? Did they not realize they were in jail? A lot of them seemed happy. I didn't think I'd ever be happy again. Despite Depression and despair weighed down on me so heavily that I felt paralyzed. I realized that I was going to spend a very long time in jail, and even when I did get out, I was going to spend the rest of my life being despised by everyone, and I would certainly never be respected again. Dark thoughts of what my future would look like came crashing into my mind. I would be homeless. No one would ever want to love a horrible person like me, especially after they found out what I did to my last boyfriend living with the choices I had made became suddenly became impossible to imagine. I didn't have it in me to keep going. I suddenly wanted out suddenly was only said the second time I added it the first time by mistake. You didn't say suddenly twice, uh, the anticipation, the anticipation of the unexpected, the waiting and worrying. I just couldn't do it. I had already been locked up for what seemed like a lifetime and I hadn't even learned what my charges were. I wasn't cut out to be an adult. I wasn't meant to live a full life. I am a junkie loser, I thought. And that's all I'm ever going to be. I have no choice. There is no other way. Tonight, after everyone falls asleep, I'm going to kill myself. Fucking- I tried. How did you try? You, you tied the sheet around your neck?
2: Yeah. And I tied it to the bed. And I sat down. And I had always heard that your body naturally fights against that but i didn't feel any of that i just started losing consciousness i guess is what you call it and it i started getting tunnel vision and started blacking out and when i saw light i thought that was it and i was so stoked i'm like yes let's go heaven here i come i don't have to deal with life anymore and it was just the flashlights of the patrol
1: well thank uh, god thank god you survived it and yeah. um and i i i mean a lot of the book is in jail and it's like fun, fun, girly action in jail. (laughs) Some of it is fun, girly action in jail. Some of it is misery. It's just, you know, it is a great uh, depiction of your experience. Um, how long do you think the suicidal thoughts stayed around? Uh,
2: the whole time I was in suicide watch for days. Um, I was in suicide watch for five or six days, I think. And it, it was horrible. Suicide Watch is just these glass doors all around you, like glass windows, so that they can peek in and make sure that you're not trying to do anything. Like Oz, too. did you ever watch? Oz? I never watched that show. So, Should yeah. I? Is it good?
1: Listen, Oz. It's one of the cheesiest shows ever. That was a show that I wa- I did heroin every second of while I watched it, and I would. I, I'm like, even just talking about it makes me want to watch it. The show is not good. First of all, okay. okay. It's really okay. cheap. It's not good, but there's something incredibly seductive about it and fun. I rec- if you if you feel like your program is locked in and you don't mind watching something pretty campy and that will definitely remind you of your experience as a drug addict, I highly recommend watching Oz.
2: Okay. It sucks, though, but
1: I really like it. It's not good. I love
2: watching shitty shows. Then you have to watch
1: Oz. You have to. (laughs) And next time you come on Dopey, you could talk about Oz. That would be great. We'll just do an
2: Oz episode.
1: I I would really like that. (laughs) I would. Um, Now, so this, but but it passed, and you managed to, and they, they gave you the option in jail of you either, like, get out on long probation or you go to rehab, right?
2: And still get out on long probation. I had three years regardless. But, yeah, one of the options was to do two more months in jail and then probation. Or, or, I'm sorry, do four more months in jail and probation or do two more months of jail, six months live-in treatment, and then three years probation. And I, everybody there was like, girl, get out of here and be free. But I knew that uh, I'd end up right back here there. I guess I'm like there in my head, but I'd end up right back there if I didn't go and get help because my brain was broken and it was going to be with me the whole time. So I had to go take it to somebody who knew how to fix it. And that's what rehab did for me this time. I wanted it. I wasn't just there because I felt like I was supposed to be.
1: And so many times people go to rehab or go to jail and they don't find their bottom. And we had talked about your dad. That was the bottom. That was the turning point.
2: I think the turning point that made me want to get help was knowing that somebody out there still loved me despite the shit that I did because prior to that, I didn't want to live because I knew that nobody would ever love me again and I would have to spend the rest of my life fighting to get somebody to respect me and I didn't have the energy or the willingness to do that. But when my dad said, dude, there's nothing you could do that could change my mind about you. I will always love you and I have faith in you and I know you can do this. I was like, at least one person out there who's known me since birth knows that deep down I'm a good person. And if that person can believe in me, I can believe in myself for a little bit.
1: Nice. And um and there were lots of opportunities to get high in jail. I don't remember yeah. did you ever get high in jail? No. So the last time you got high was when?
2: November twenty sixth. Technically late of November twenty fifth of twenty twelve. But I, I was arrested the next morning, but I probably still had drugs in my system. So I say 11.
1: So you've never gotten high since then?
2: No, oh, that's pretty. Hold on. Thank you. That's pretty
1: great. That's pretty. And then my favorite part of the story, and it's so quick in the book, but it's obviously like the whole juggling the Jenkins universe is yep. that in halfway Tiffany meets some junkie in another halfway house <laughs> and they go and fuck and have a kid. Yeah. Hold on.
2: Yeah, we did that.
1: And it worked out. That's amazing. Yeah. How did you meet him? Tell the re- the romance.
2: Uh, okay, first of all, we're not going to call it a romance <laughs> because he was graduating rehab and giving his commencement speech. Wait, are you? Where
1: is there a commencement? I I've been to rehab a much, many times. No one asked me to speak. They were just like, yeah. yeah. This well, was the sa-
2: Salvation, Salvation Army. Army. Nice.
1: So how does that and, work? Describe this to me.
2: Uh, my a family member of mine was in the program that he was in. And I had already been in the halfway house and graduated from my rehab, so I was allowed to go to these meetings in the Salvation Army. And I was going to watch my loved one graduate. And it just so happened that this super hot dude was also graduating that night. And he had been in love with my sister, (laughs) Um, of course, because she's beautiful. But uh, our family member was like trying to hook my sister up with him. And so I would make fun of her and be like, there's your boyfriend. Anyway, when he got up to give his commencement speech, the way that he talked about his higher power and his family and his hope for the future, it, like, did something to me. I don't know what it was, but I was like, oh, my God, he's beautiful. And so I told her, you better get on that or I'm going to pounce on him like a puma. And Wait, hold up, hold up. Who were you seeing? Who was
1: graduating? Who was the loved one?
2: Um, so in the book, I said it was someone else, but it was my dad's girlfriend.
1: Okay. So you went to see your dad's girlfriend graduate. This dude, this heavenly, beautiful man starts kicking, kicking
2: higher power rap, and it goes right into yeah. and 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 I was like, he's got four months clean. This is going to be perfect. What could go wrong? And then as fate would have it, he ended up in a halfway house one street over from mine. So that night of his commencement, I told my dad's girlfriend, I said, put a good word in for me. And he sent me a friend request on Facebook that night. And we started talking, and we would walk and meet up at dumpsters because we didn't have a car or a job or anything. And we would just hang out and go to meetings together, and I got an overnight pass one night, and he put a baby in me. Where did it happen? Like physically? In his bedroom.
1: In the halfway house? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. uh, And then when did you find out you were pregnant?
2: It was uh, super early, actually. I was only a couple of weeks pregnant. I started feeling weird, dude. Something was off, and I borrowed a dollar from my roommate and walked to the dollar store and got a pregnancy test, and I took it, and it was positive. And I was like, this is not good, (laughs) because I um, had like barely a year, if a year yet, um, when I found out. And I was living in a halfway house. I had no car, no job, and... Neither did he, but I just, I had a really good feeling that it was going to work out. And now uh, we, he's in the kitchen. We've been married for seven years. We have uh, three kids.
1: It's amazing. Well,
2: technically two. One, one, of one of them he had, had before, before he met me. He's still, that's so. a
1: kid in your house. You have three kids.
2: Yeah, I count her. Counter. But in case mathematically anybody was doing the math, I had to explain. But yeah, my, our youngest just started kindergarten a couple of days ago. Um, our son, our first baby together was born on my birthday. And then when he was six months old, I found out I was pregnant again and we just started building our life slowly but surely. We went from living in separate halfway houses to living into an apartment together and then renting a home together and then we just bought our first house this past year.
1: Do you want me to hit the applause thing? Because I want to. I I feel like I deserve it. it. Damn it. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome.
2: Honestly though, it wasn't I don't I could never have done it alone. I can't I, if I can't take any credit. It was people in recovery who were showing me the way and who were showing up for me when I felt like giving up and who were there when I reached out to them. If I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them.
1: Well, I love that. And like to be totally transparent, I've had my share I, I had sex in a halfway house, but don't tell don't tell anybody. Okay. Uh, it's our secret. But we didn't stay together. You know what I mean? So my question and not even close. Like not even close. My question is you're very public. You're very public. Your story is out there. Four million people and YouTube and Facebook and everything. How often do you hear from people who married their, their halfway house sweetheart? Like how often do you hear that story?
2: Um, I mean, it's, I've heard it before. There are, it's not, I don't recommend it, but I do have friends who met in rehab and are married with kids now. And it's cause their goals and we're aligned and they work together and, I think that the most important thing is figuring yourself out. Because at that time, I remember thinking when we started talking, like, I have 10 months clean. I've got a great foundation of recovery. He is just a bonus to my life. He's not required. And I know where I'm going with this. And I think that the biggest part is making sure that you're right with yourself. Because if you're looking to fill this void with this other person, chances are it's not going to work out. Um, And I think we were both just, he should have run
1: away. Well, honestly, you, you both should have run and, but in, that, you know, things happen the way they happen for, you know, there's, there's a million reasons why things don't work or why they do. And we have yeah. some listeners, you know, there's a couple that met through dopey nation zoom, you know, there's like you know, there's a, a dopey romance out there. And I hear about, I get emails from people who met their wives, uh, yeah. in, in rehab. I don't think I ever heard the or do you, do I think you knew, uh, you met Jessica Kent. Did you meet Jessica Kent?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And she gave, had the baby in jail, which is yeah. much worse than your situation. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. Right. It's, it, I'm sure you could. I mean, it's fucked up. It's like, but she has a beautiful life. You have a beautiful life. I'm mm-hmm. curious. Basically you were a non-professional high school dropout. Mm-hmm. And when you're pregnant and you're having your first couple kids, like, I've heard you talk about, like, just posting on Facebook and shit, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. when did it, like, the mission, the vision of juggling the Jenkins hit you? Like, how did it happen?
2: I, I had been, really, like, the reception when I put some personal shit out there was unbelievable. The how did you put it out the first time? Blogs. What was the writing. format? It was like you had a website, but what made you do that? I, well, it was just me and the kids, and I was super depressed after I had my daughter. I had postpartum depression. I felt lonely. I would look on the internet. Everybody looked like they had their shit together, and they had these families, and they looked so happy, and I I didn't want to have my children anymore. I wanted to run out of the house and leave them there. I didn't want to be a mom, and I was like, I'm failing, and I reached out for help from a doctor. I'm like, is it normal to despise your kids and resent them for existing? And he said, "Nope, you've got something going on. And so I started getting treatment for that. And then I just vented about it on this WordPress site. I started it. And I was like, I'm just going to collect my stories here. And I started sharing them. And I started sharing about addiction. And people were like, me too, dude. Thanks for talking about it. And I decided to start a series called 120 days in about my time in jail just in case anybody was like on the fence about whether or not jail was right for them if they were thinking like I wonder what goes on in jail I wanted to tell people about my experience and this lady was like I am so invested every week to find out what happens next I wish that I could send these stories to my son who's in jail and that was when I was like I need to make this a book and so I took everything off the website I finished writing the story. I Googled how to self-publish a book, and I did it. In the first year, I just, it sold like 50,000 copies or something. And it was just, uh, there was typos in the book. Character names changed from one page to the next. Like, I had no effing clue what I was doing, but I did it anyway. And Penguin Random House caught wind of my book, and they were like, let us help you with these typos and we'll republish it. And now it's in bookstores and it's being sent to jails and rehabs all over the place. And it's, um, I guess it's just because like, instead of doing what I normally do, which is that's way too hard. I can't do that. It'll never work out. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to try. And, uh, I stepped outside of my comfort zone and everything. It, it just, it was amazing. And I you're like my hero. Just, do you know that me? Me? you're like my no. fucking
1: hero? I'm trying to write a book. Like I'm working on a book. Okay. N- the, uh, working awesome. title, The Last Jewish Waiter. Working title. Oh, um, love it. I'm working on a YouTube channel because I want to be like you. You're my new hero.
2: Oh, my gosh. Take me down from that pedestal because I am going to disappoint you. No, any No, you now. can't. I think that's the point, though, is that I dropped out of high school. I, at one point, tried to die. like I, I had nothing to offer the world, and if somebody like me is able to live a life after drugs and try all this cool shit that they never would have gotten the chance to if they had been successful in their own self sabotage um, attempts that anybody can do it
1: absolutely and it's so true and and more importantly like we went to the end of the world we almost died we you know misery depravity depression nothing good coming and then all of a sudden you're not doing that shit and it's like you can make things and you can create things that bring you joy, bring you, you can create things that bring me joy, you know, and we can sit here and, and none of it could have happened if, if you, you kept smoking weed or doing oxies or shooting Delauded or whatever the case may be, you know, and yeah. it, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I think uh, I love your story. Now I have a question, another question. Uh, okay. what came first, the, the book or the vlog?
2: Um, so I, videos also, I think I, I've always loved comedy. I've always considered myself to be a goofball. And so I think it was simultaneous. I started juggling the Jenkins in 2017 and I just made some silly videos while putting writing out and the book, uh, there had been a couple of videos released at the time of the book, but I think it was a culmination of the two people would find my funny videos online And be like, oh my gosh, she's so hilarious. I'm going to follow her. And then they'd get to my page and find out that I'm a recovering drug addict. And they're like, wait a minute. This does not look like what I think of when I think of a drug addict. And so that's when I slap them with the truth. And I'm like, so keep hope alive because if you like me... Then you have to know that there's hope for your loved one.
1: That's the rope a dope, you know. And you have balls though. Like when Chris and I started the show, we didn't have balls. We were like, we were totally in an, am- an- anamity in anonymity. You know what I'm saying? Like, and 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 yeah. and I still like I'm not I'm not so public with people that aren't into dopey. You know, in the dopey world, pretty much everybody knows who I am, whatever. But in my world, I'm and I'm. In my own personal sphere, like at work, I tell everybody I'm a drug addict in recovery. I don't mind. But in my friend world, I don't talk about it. You know, I mean, that's not even true. Only on social media. I do not publicize being an addict on social media.
2: Like on your personal yeah. page? Yeah, or, I don't. Or... I don't. Well, you don't have to. I know I don't, don't, but I like that you had balls and it worked. Well, the only reason I even had those balls is because of the reception that I received. I was shocked. At the amount of people who accepted me and were like, that's amazing. You're awesome. Thank you for telling me. But that's the courage paying off.
1: Here, let, I, want, I want you to read. Can I send you an email really fast and you can read it? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Okay. Okay, now before you read it, I want to tell you, this note is from a long-time dopey listener named Joey Pepper, who I often would call Joey Pepper. And Joey Pepper listened when me and Chris did the show. He would, like, make fun of Chris. He sent in a dopey theme song. Like, he was one of the True Blue original dopes. He sent me dopey decals, like, really well-made dopey decals that I put around New York. And then he disappeared. And then there's another dopey guy who wrote a song, and Joey Pepper's in the song. So, at a no place, Joey Pepper emerged and sent this email. Whoa.
2: And you want me to read it? Okay, Dave, wow. I'm loving the podcast. I stopped listening a while back. Not because the show was bad, but because I changed jobs and wasn't able to listen. But I'm fucking back. I started with the most recent, and I'm going backwards till I get to where I left off. WTF, the Dopey Nation is the shit. I joined a couple of days ago, the Facebook group. I'm joining my first Dopey Zoom meeting in a little while. Today is day one of my recovery. I never gave my recovery a chance. I've never been to a meeting, a detox, a treatment center, sober living, nothing but jail. Jail was the only treatment I ever got, but I'm ready. I want recovery. I want a better life. And Dopey is what has inspired me to be in recovery and get connected and be sober and live fucking life. I didn't even know about recovery till I listened to Dopey. I mean, I always heard about people going to rehab. I never really understood recovery. Thanks to you, Dave. You kept it going. Thank you. If I didn't have dopey in my ear all day, every day today, probably wouldn't be. If I didn't have dopey in my ear all day, every day today, probably wouldn't be day one. So thank you, Dave. Joey Pepper. That's so, so sweet. sweet. Yes, Joey Pepper. When was this sent? Where, Where is, is he? he? How's he, he doing?
1: He, he, okay, there's something called, uh, The Dopey Nation was something that we would make fun of our listeners and call them the Dopey Nation, and I would kind of do a weird preacher at the end of the show and say, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And that was the beginning, and then it became a real thing. And then after Chris died, they started a group on Facebook called The Dopey Nation, and now there's like 5,000, 6,000 people in it, and like they have Zooms. They have fucking 25 Dopey Nation Zooms a week where they champion the alt-recovery movement. And they're gonna love you, by the way. I know that's a drop oh. in your four million empire. But well, like listen. Yes.
2: It doesn't matter. I did not set out to have that many. I think that if just one person hears something and is like, Mm, I'm gonna try something different today, then literally my work on earth is done, I feel like. And so the numbers are a bonus, they but I think it's amazing what you're doing and it has to make you feel so proud to see all these connections being made in this community that you essentially you and your friend created. It
1: does. It does. I mean, I, I was like, I always wanted to have a talk show. Like I always wanted to have a talk show and, uh, and then we had fun making the show and I'm kind of like, I'm coming around to the fact that the show helps people like that's in my mind. I like it. It makes me happy. It's fun. Like you and I had a bunch of laughs, like it was fun. I Mm -hmm. like fucked up stories. I love being in recovery and I love the process of putting a show together. Like I just enjoy the work, you know? Yeah. The fact that people are like getting something out of it is like a side effect. It's like, it's like, and I, I don't know, like, you know, last year we sent like 13 people to free treatment, like scholarships. And uh, yeah, I mean like, and, and so like I'm starting to embrace like that dopey actually does some good besides give me fun and make me a little bit of money. But yeah, it's yeah, dude, it's, I'm so happy. And I'm so happy you came on. You were such a great guest.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I'm honored. And I would love to, um, I don't know if I'm allowed in the group, but I would love to see the goings on of it. I think it's incredible that you created this community. Um, the community created
1: itself. The community is autonomous from the show. They do whatever the fuck they do. They're crazy. (laughs) Um, but they would love it if you joined the Dopey Nation, or if you if you were a part of the whole thing. But uh, but they're autonomous. They, they some of them like the show. Some of the people in the Dopey Nation never heard the show. I hate those guys. I say from, <laughs> there's one guy from Scotland or Ireland who had to you know say that he never listened to the show, and that just broke my heart. His name is Derek Hines, by the way. So Derek Hines. Not that you had. Have- I know he's not <laughs> listening, but...
2: You have, like, a shrine at your house with, like, a picture of him. You're like, Derek Hines!
1: I'm constantly poking my Derek Hines voodoo doll. He wrote me <laughs> recently, he wrote me this beautiful note that Dopey really made his life better because he's made so many friends through the Dopey Nation. Mm, and and an interesting fact about Derek Hines is he owns a sweet shop, a candy store in, like, Ireland that's, like, a hundred-year-old candy store. Wow.
2: And I bet you he'll send you some candy... I was just going to say, Derek Hines, I, I like you and would love some of your candy.
1: I bet you he'll read your book and listen to your podcast.
2: He won't. Leave. Do you know what I'm always so afraid of? It's so stupid. But anytime somebody like, sends me food or gives me food behind my tour, like before my tour or after my tour, I'm like, what if somebody put drugs in here to sabotage my freaking clean date. And it's such a dark thought, but I I never never know. know. And so I'm always really reluctant to eat. I'll still eat it, but I'm reluctant to eat it. A woman,
1: a woman like brought cookies to my job, right? Like a a listener brought, brought cookies to my job. And, uh, and I was on vacation when she did. Right. And when I got to work, it had been like 10 days since the cookies were there. And I still ate them.
2: (laughs) I know. <laughs> it's like a fear. It's there, but I'm willing to risk it for a treat. Tell me the tour. Uh, what is the tour? Um, I am on tour with a couple of my friends. It's it's for moms. It's um, me and my friends have kids at different ages. I have little kids. My friend has kids in middle school, and my other friend has uh, high school and college-age kids. So it's basically a journey through motherhood from the different perspectives of moms raising different-aged Uh, Kids, and we've had 11 shows so far, and 10 of them have sold out. Surprisingly, we have new tour dates, and it's a lot of fun. It's like mom comedy, like momity. Yeah, Yeah. I don't don't think think your audience would be interested. I did a tour a couple of years ago on my own about recovery, and it was really successful and wonderful, but nerve wracking because I was by myself. And so, this is a little less stressful because I've got my friends with me. That's awesome. And it's not about me,
1: right? Well, it's about Parenthood and th- but there's so many there's so many parents in the dopey nation. Um, I want to tell you a quick story and then I want to ask and we'll let you go in a second. But we'll, just one quick story, okay? Okay. So, so I'm on vacation and uh, I'm with my daughter and we're like we're uh, at my father's house, which is on a lake, and there's a concert on the lake and we're all kind of paddling around to see the show and everyone's smoking weed, right? Everyone is smoking weed and my daughter is 11. And and my wife told her what weed smells like. And I was a big pothead, but, like, I don't ever say to my daughter how much I used to love pot, because I really did. I loved it. Um, and I have a feeling you did, too, just from that passage where you talk about the buds. I think people who yeah, write buds. I was super
2: paranoid, though.
1: So you didn't love weed like that?
2: Not publicly. Like, if it was just me in a movie in my room, I loved it. But if I had to talk to people, I hated it.
1: Right. I, I loved it. I was, like, so in it. Um. And I felt like this weird, like, you don't see people on heroin hanging out. You don't see people like licking the coating off of oxys and doing lines and publicly, but like, I guess alcohol you do and weed you do. Like, have you had an experience with your children where like, you know, you remember who you are kind of thing? Like it's a double life in a way, or it's many lives we get to live. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, do you ever feel like that?
2: No, not really. Uh, my kids are still so young. I don't that mean that.
1: I mean like where you remember. You were like, oh shit, I was like this and now I'm like this.
2: Oh, every day. I just the realize every time I look at their faces, I'm like, they wouldn't be here if I was still living that way that I was living. It's every single thing in my life is a reminder. of. I try to re- remind myself every day of where I came from because I don't ever want to go back.
1: Totally. And the, and the juggling the Jenkins empire didn't come to you in one pop. It just
0: developed.
2: Yeah, I, it, it happened very quickly. Um, I think after three months I had my first million followers and it was incredibly overwhelming. And I find myself getting caught up in it as well. All these people needing me and wanting me and... Adoring you. No, but I, I have this thing where I feel like I have everybody fooled. And it it's very terrifying to me. I feel like any minute now they're going to realize that I'm not as great as they think I am. And it's like this self-identity thing that I struggle with daily. Daily. Like, because my husband doesn't get nearly as excited when I walk into a room as somebody who is one of my supporters does. They cry and freak out and they're so excited. But this person who knows me better than anybody is just like, hey. And so I'm like, if they knew me like he knows me, then, do you know what I'm saying? Or my friend's know me that they wouldn't think of me the way that they do. And so I try to just remind everybody all the time. I'm not perfect. Whatever image you have of me in your head, I'm grateful, but it's not real. It's based on clips that I have put out on the internet for you to watch. So keep that in mind.
1: But that's cool that your, your supporters cry and have nervous breakdowns when they see you. My, my people aren't going to do that when they see me. They you, don't, you don't know. They're not going to do that. They're just going to get blah, either. blah, they blah, might. blah. Um, Tiffany, you are the best. You were so much fun and uh, such a great interview and conversation. You're right. Uh, I asked questions, so though. Much. It would technically be an interview.
2: Yeah. No, you totally get credit for it being an interview. I was just so natural that it didn't even feel like
1: it. Will you watch Oz and come back on Dopey and talk about Oz?
2: I would love to watch Oz, um, unless it really sucks. Then I might not be able to stick to it. It's not good.
1: I'm telling you. Okay. I'm, it's not good, but you're probably not going to be able to stop watching it.
2: Maybe now that I'm going into it knowing it sucks, I'll uh, I'll be surprised.
1: And Dopey Nation, Maybe. if you have any comments, questions for Tiffany, write us at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I will pass it along. And at the end of the show, we say, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Do you want to say that too? Aww. Do you want to say stay strong? Because he, he would say fucking toodles. He would say toodles, right, at the end of every episode, which –
2: and you do that every episode? Every
1: episode. Because I hated that he oh said toodles. God. And his whole thing was that he wanted me to say toodles. And I never would say toodles. And then now I say fucking toodles for Chris because he... Now I have to.
2: I have, five, I have goosebumps. Fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a
0: walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Watch his just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good so bad so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind when I leave this busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good, so bad want to be good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had.